0: Good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. I want to be intentional this morning about saying, as you're taking your seats, grab your Bible and open to the book of Jonah. I was made aware of that recently, that oftentimes when I come up on stage, I say, as you're opening your seats. uh, So, take out your Bibles. Yes, as you're taking out your seats, grab your Bibles. Uh, This morning, we're starting a brand new study through the book of Jonah. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Jonah is, it is right after Obadiah, and it is right before, uh, which is right before the book of Micah. It's in a section of scripture that's, that's called uh, the prophets. Uh, Jonah is a minor prophet. Uh, and if you're unfamiliar with how the Bible organizes, this is actually the Bible's organized in kind of these main sections of, of uh, literature. So there's the first five books of the Bible, which is the law, it's the Pentateuch, and that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. From the law, it moves on to what are called the historical books. The historical books include Joshua, Judges, Samuels, the Kings, the Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Ezra. Uh, After the historical books comes the poetry, and that's where you have uh, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon. Uh, Job is also included in that. And then you have the prophets. And the prophets consist of three major prophets, 12 minor prophets, and then Daniel and Lamentations are in there. Uh, So if you... uh, you're looking through your scriptures and wondering, you know, why are they organized this way? They're they're organized in these chunks of sections of scripture. And uh, Jonah is kind of near the end. It's the fifth of the twelve minor prophets. And just to give a brief introduction into the book, Jonah uh, has lists no author. There's no uh, this was written by Jonah in the letter in the book, uh, but from everything that happens, the eyewitness account that it gives, scholars are safe to conclude that. You know, If there was an author, it probably would have been Jonah because who else would have known everything that happened in the story other than Jonah? Jonah is most likely the author. The only other place that we see Jonah in our Old Testament is in 2 Kings. Jonah comes to an evil king named uh, Jeroboam II and prophesies in, in his evil reign. Uh, this would have been around 790 to 750 B.C. So this is about the context that... Jonah ministered in this time frame. This is when this was going down. Now, the story of Jonah seems to be very popular. It's one of the kind of seems like to be one of the most well known stories in the Bible because it tells about a giant fish or a whale that swallows this man, Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of this great fish for three days, and then the fish vomits Jonah back up onto the shore. It seems like for those who are familiar with uh, their Bibles familiar with church uh, teaching that when you think about Jonah, what comes to mind? <laughs> whale. whale. right? We even have ki- children's stories that talk about Jonah and the whale. But I think as we study through the book of Jonah together, we will see that the whale is not really central at all. The whale is just a prop. The whale is a tool that God uses. In fact, what's more central in Jonah is God not Jonah. I mean, Jonah's there, uh, and, I, and we'll see, I think, why uh, the book describes it in this way, but the whale is not a prophet. It's not the main core, a character. The whale is not a major theme. Um, the major themes throughout the book of Jonah are, I think, God's mercy, God's compassion. Uh, you see this throughout the, the book of Jonah, God's patience, his goodness. Uh, and it's actually his compassion and mercy that is intended to challenge us, Sometimes as I'm going through my studies during the week, I will find something that uh, is really helpful. And honestly, I can't really say it better. And this is one of the reasons that I recommend, I highly recommend the ESV Study Bible. Uh, as, as we're looking at context, as we're looking at introduction, this is what the ESV Study Bible says. I don't think I can say it much better, so I'm just going to read it to you. The primary purpose of the book of Jonah is to engage readers in theological reflection on the compassionate character of God and in self-reflection on the degree to which their own character reflects this compassion. To that end, they become vehicles of this compassion in the world that God has made and cares so deeply about. So throughout the book of Jonah, we'll see this main theme of mercy and also a main theme of mission. God's heart for all people, God's heart for the nation, even these wicked people, the Assyrians, the Ninevites. We see God calling and commanding, sending his representative Jonah to be a mouthpiece, to be an ambassador for him, to proclaim repentance. So these are the two kind of main things that we're going to be focusing on through the book of Jonah, the mercy and mission of God. So that's where we're going in this four-week study through the book of Jonah. I believe God has strategically orchestrated this and placed us in the book of Jonah for a reason. As we've come out of our study through the book of Ephesians, we've looked at the foundation of the gospel and how the gospel should kind of permeate our church, permeate our relationships, our marriages, our uh, families, our workplaces. And as we're moving, I think into a strategic time of summer, where uh, for us as a church, this is a, an opportune time for us to uh, be missional, to go out and meet neighbors, meet the people in our city, uh, be a witness to the gospel. That this is a, I think God has led us to study this book for a reason. Uh, and what I hope is that as we move forward towards the summer, I pray that as we study through Jonah, th- the book of Jonah will lead to a greater obedience of all that God commands. I pray that we will have greater humility and gratitude in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that we will have a greater love for our enemies through it and greater boldness in partnering with God on his mission. So my prayer for this, for our study through Jonah. You guys with me on that? You down down to go through this? I hope so because I've already prepared the sermon, so. (laughs) So what we're going to do this morning is like we normally do, we're going to work through the text verse by verse. We're going to draw some main principles and we're going to try to apply it to our life. Sounds good? All right, so uh, Jonah 1.1, if you have your Bibles open there with me, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amitt- Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is calling Jonah to arise. The word means stand up. Stand up and go. Go to Nineveh, this great city. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. It was a large city. It was a city of great evil. Uh, The city today would be about 200 miles north of Iraq. Uh, That's where, in modern-day Iraq, that's where Nineveh would be. Uh, The Syrians were Israel's kind of brutal enemies, and they were a brutal people. They were possibly one of the most violent nations to ever be on the face of the earth. Many scholars believe that actually the Assyrians were uh, the ones who... uh, created and invented the horrible death sentence and execution style of crucifixion, uh, which then became popular by Alexander the Great, and then the Romans started to adopt it. Uh, But they were not a good people. Uh, They were brutal. They were violent. And God calls Jonah to go to the enemy's capital city and proclaim uh, repentance, go to this great city, call out. The word call out means to proclaim. So it could be another way of saying preach. Go to Nineveh, preach, proclaim, announce, speak authoritatively, bring this repentance, this message of repentance to these people. And God says, for the email has come up before me. Now this is interesting because uh, throughout our Bibles, uh, repentance is kind of a big theme. Which for me, and what I've noticed too, is as we've, at least for me as an American, growing up in an American church and in American culture, Christian culture, church. I don't know what I'm trying to say. A culture of American Christianity. That's what I'm trying to say. That this whole idea of repentance is not very popular. Uh, When you're talking about sharing God's message, oftentimes what you might hear is uh, something like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which could be true, but it's kind of like this little fortune cookie of a message Whereas the more popular message, the more prominent message in our Bibles is repent. You're wrong, you're evil, God is good, you have turned from his ways, you need to turn back to him. But that's not as popular, I don't think. Right? I mean, we can laugh about it, but this is what it's talking about, repentance. Turning from your evil to God, asking for God to cleanse you of your wickedness and create a new heart uh, that you would honor him and, and obey him. So we see uh, in verses 1 and 2 the call upon Jonah to go. And then we see the response. We see the the response of all the rest of the characters in the story in verses 3 through 6. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose. So he obeyed the first part about God's command. He rose. But he rose to flee, to Tarshish. In in Hebrew, the way you say that is is Tarshish. So if you're curious. Tarshish. It's a little bit funner way to say it, I think. More fun. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And it's important for us to know and understand and realize that it's not enough for us to partly obey God's commands. When God gives us command, we can't pick and choose which commands we want to obey and which ones we don't want to. It's just as disobedient to partly obey God. The book at this point doesn't tell us why Jonah ran. We're not told yet, but Jonah runs. And I thought it was interesting too, as we, as we were looking at Jonah rising to flee to Tarshish, that Jonah doesn't say, he doesn't rise and say, actually, my home is pretty comfortable. I'm gonna stay here. God, that was a cool idea. Maybe it's for those, uh, maybe for someone, some other prophet that you've called, but I, I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna stay here. Jonah doesn't stay in his home. He runs. And he runs the opposite direction. He boards, he goes down to Joppa, which was a port city on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And he takes a ship to Tarshish, which uh, is kind of an unknown location, but many people think that it would have been like around Spain. It's on the east, west side of the Mediterranean. In other words, just completely opposite to Nineveh, which would have been northeast of Israel. It goes the opposite direction of where God calls him to go. And notice the, rep- the repetition of Tarshish too. Verse 3, Jonah rose to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went aboard to go with him to Tarshish. You see that emphasized three times. Almost emphasizing, showing, Jonah's not going to Nineveh, right? <laughs> He's not going to Nineveh. He's not going to obey God's command. And also notice the, 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 the repetition of the phrase, the presence of the Of the Lord. Verse 3 Jonah rose to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, he paid the fare and went aboard to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This is a phrase that intrigued me as I was studying through Jonah. What does that mean, the presence of the Lord? Surely it can't mean that Jonah was escaping somehow God's existence or where he ruled and reigned. The Bible is clear God rules and reigns over all things and he is omnipresent, he's present everywhere. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is everywhere. So when it says flee from the presence of the Lord, it can't mean that he is somehow leaving a place where God dwells because he's everywhere. But what does this phrase mean? If you look through your Bibles and you study this phrase, you see that this occurs in other areas. Such as in Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. So I think when the Bible uses this phrase, presence of the Lord, it's not referring to a spatial, uh, geographical, dimensional area. It's referring to something different. A close, sweet uh, experience with the Lord. Being in, in line with his will doing his way. Number six says it like this, 624 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This word, the presence, uh, is, is can be translated faith. In fact, the word in Hebrew is pane, which means face. It's it's actually very similar to the word that's used in verse two when it says um Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call it against it, for the evil has come up before me. It's coming up before God's face. It's very similar to how it's talking about the presence of the Lord here. And I think what it means is a favor of God, a sweet fellowship with God. The the Puritans would talk about, they try to differentiate between uh, God's omnipresence and this presence of the Lord that the Bible talks about. They would differentiate between uh, what they would call God's manifest presence of God. This presence of the Lord, meaning when God's presence is seen, when it is tasted, when it's experienced, when it's known, it's different than God's omnipresent. And it happens uh, kind of in special, sometimes special or unique ways that causes things to happen. So when it says Jonah flees from the presence of God, it's referring to his disobedience. It's referring to him leaving the fellowship of God that is good. It's referring to him leaning, leaving uh, being in line with his will, which is good and perfect and sweet. So this is what. I think that this presence of the Lord means when you're leaving the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. When the But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The word hurl means throw forcefully, like a violent toss. God violently tosses this wind on the sea to create a storm, a great storm, that threatens to shatter the boat to pieces. That's, what's getting, that's what the language is getting at here. God is causing this great storm to come about to shatter the boat to pieces, to create a huge storm on the waters, to break up the ship. In verse 5, it shows us the response of the mariners, the sailors, Says they were afraid. And the mariners start to pray. It says they each cry out to their own God. Like the mariners, the sailors are sensing that there's something going on here. There's something supernatural, there's some sort of divine thing happening, and they start to pray. And what do we see our man Jonah doing? End of verse 5, Jonah had gone down in the inner part of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. Right, as these sailors are praying, they're crying out to their God, they're, they're throwing off, they're hurling off cargo from the ship to make it lighter. Jonah is in the bottom of the ship sleeping. The word fast asleep is a sound, deep sleep. Also again, notice a a, a phrase that's repeated. says goes down. This in our Bibles is a euphemism for death. So you see, as God calls Jonah and Jonah disobeys God, the first thing that Jonah does is he flees and he goes down to Joppa. And then when he's on the ship, he goes down in the ship. It's like the more the story progresses, Jonah's disobedience is going further and further to death. Like this is what disobedience to God does. It leads to death. So verse 6, the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? This phrase sleeper is kind of a derogatory name. It's referring to someone who sleeps too much or sleeps at the wrong time. So what do you mean, you sleeper? You're We're crying out to God, we're throwing off cargo from our ship, and you're asleep? You see the pagan captain calling Jonah to pray. And the story is kind of upside down, isn't it? This prophet, this man of God, who should probably be leading the sailors to pray, should probably be telling them about the God of Israel, the one true God, and the pagans are calling for Jonah to pray? Something's not right here. You see that Jonah is not really concerned with the outcome of those around him. Seemed like he could really care less if the ship shatters to pieces and everyone dies. He's fast asleep. You see the callousness of Jonah's heart that's caused by his disobedience. I think we see in this passage a reminder of the truth that our sin affects others. Our sin has real consequences on those around us. Sometimes I think because of our Western individualistic minds we can get so focused on uh, my sin is just between me and God and our sin affects those around us. These sailors, these mariners were affected by Jonah's disobedience and I think we're naive to think that our disobedience doesn't have the effect on those around us. I don't know if we like that, but it's true. captain says, perhaps the God, your God, he's referring to Jonah's God, will take notice of us, will give us thought, will pay attention to us so that we will not perish. This captain is pretty close actually to the heart of God. The heart of God that doesn't want anyone to perish, that desires that all come to repentance. And that's where we come to the end of verses one through six. It's the end of our study through the, through the text. So what does verses one through six teach us? What are the principles that we can glean from this passage? All right, we saw the call that God had upon Jonah. We saw the response of Jonah. Jonah flees. We saw the response of God. God causes a great storm. We saw the response of the, the mariners, the sailors. They cry to God. They're afraid. They respond in fear. What can we learn from this? What are the main principles? And I think there's probably more, but I, I, I want to focus on two this morning. Two main ones. Number one, God calls his people to go and proclaim repentance. Not just Jonah. All people. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, God has called you to go and proclaim repentance. You might say, well, God hasn't called me to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to go to Iraq. I like my house in Des Moines or in Kent or in Auburn or in Burien wherever I live. Know that God has called you to go somewhere. And I don't, I don't think we can be ignorant about this. We, we must not be ignorant about this. We cannot be ignorant about this. God has called all of his people to go and proclaim his message. We can't be ignorant. We can't think that God kind of exists as this genie. We just rub him well enough. He'll come out and give us what we want. We cannot view God as a sort of vending machine who exists to kind of serve us, and we want a little bit of this, we want a little bit of that. We can't think that God ultimately is about our needs and our desires. God is ultimately concerned about what we want. He's concerned about his glory and making his name known among the nations. cannot be ignorant of the command to partner with God on his mission to proclaim his message to the nations. We cannot buy into a lie that says, well, doing that is really for church planters, pastors, missionaries, professional, professional ministers. You know, the ones that we pay. That's the underlying truth, I think, in a lot of churches. As long as I come on Sundays, give my 10%, the pastor, you know, he has to bring all the people in, right? But just And there's even some churches that will believe this, right? They lose their pastor. They're looking for a pastor. There might be an older, uh, dying church, and they have this mentality. Well, if he we just find the right pastor, he'll bring all these people in. He'll revive us. It's his job to bring the people in. Just me? Anyone else have that? cannot bind to a lie in which living according to the commands of Jesus, living on mission, is for those radical types. It's a normal, everyday call of everyday person. Jesus says in Matthew eight twenty eight, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus says in Luke 24 that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations. Bible says that we are witnesses, we are ambassadors. We are called by God to join him on his mission to magnify his glory and multiply worshipers of him. So if you are a believer here this morning, know that God has called you, he has placed you, he has ordained the location of where you live, your apartment, your house, your condo, your job, your neighborhood, your city for a purpose. The reason that you're in your house is not because you liked it and it was in a safe neighborhood. The ultimate reason that you're there is because God has placed you there to be a witness. Amen? Amen. You guys tracking with me on that? Yeah. The Lord calls his people to arise, go, and proclaim his message of repentance. And sometimes I think when it comes to gleaning um, Things from the Bible, or especially I think when it comes to Jonah, when we're gleaning principles from the passage, there can be a temptation, an urge, a, a tendency to look at Jonah, see his disobedience, see how he rebelled against God, and say, wow, Jonah is awful. God comes to him and calls him, and he runs the other way. Wow. Shame, shame, Jonah. Terrible Jonah. I can't believe Jonah deliberately disobeyed God. He went in the opposite direction. I can't believe that. Jonah is unique in the prophets. He is one of the he's the only one who the book focuses on Jonah and not its message. And I think the reason that this book is in here is not primarily so that we can scold Jonah, so that we can look at Jonah and say, "So bad." terrible Jonah. We get a picture of who Jonah is, and Tim Mackey says it like this. The book of Jonah holds up a mirror to the one who reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified. In other words, when we read through the book of Jonah, our response shouldn't be distance ourselves from the story and point down in self-righteousness and in pride that we are so much better than Jonah. The point of the book is to get us to hold the book up and to see ourselves in Jonah. We hold the book up and we see the mirror of ourselves in Jonah. How are we like Jonah? Jonah. to face the reality that we are Jonah. And I think it's helpful to see this Jonah in us. It's helpful to see this, this reality that we are Jonah. Like Jonah, we can so easily, quickly, readily disobey the call of God. It's not just enough to go. Right? Jonah would have been just as disobedient if he went to Nineveh and didn't say anything. He would have been just disobedient if he came up to Nineveh and said, I know God called me to proclaim repentance, but I've heard uh, Nineveh has a pretty sweet nightlife. I'm going to check it out. Heard the cuisine is great. Repentance, they might not like me. They might kill me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to soften the message. Oh God, you know, he's happy with you and he just exists to give you a wonderful life. I would have been disobedient were living in sin, rebelling against God, and they needed to repent. We might think to ourselves, I'm not as bad as Jonah, fleeing the opposite direction. But We can be just like Jonah when we run from God's call and command in our life, whether we are actively disobeying God or passively being ignorant of it, not doing it. We run from the presence of the Lord when we seclude ourselves in our sanctuaries of silence and solitude. We isolate ourselves in our homes, in our suburban castles. There's a lot of evil and wickedness out there. I'm going to create my own little space in here. I'm going to close myself off. This is how we can run from the presence of the Lord. We can be just like Jonah when we remain silent. We close ourselves in. We flee from the call of God. When we fill our schedules, we become busy with things that don't really matter. Worldly things. We flee from the call of God when we waste our lives in entertainment, in the pleasures of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, when we spend our free time, our weekends, our time off, solely focused on ourselves. We are like Jonah. We are like Jonah when we run from the call of God, when we say things like, well, I'll obey God, I'll I'll seek to be on mission, but I'm in a really busy season of life right now. Anyone ever heard this phrase? Maybe even use it. It's like one of your top phrases. I'd love to be more missional. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be reaching my neighbors and inviting people into my home. I, I'd love to be building relationships with people in my city, but I'm just really busy right now. We're, we're doing this remodel, so maybe when we're done with that. Oh, my wife and I just got married, so we really need to focus on ourselves. Oh, we just had young kids. We really need to focus on our young kids. After our kids are grown, then we can, then we can be missional. Oh, now we just had another kid. Oh, no, let's spend time with our, and then we need to sort of transition, and wow, this is a busy season of life. I'm even having a hard time just showing up on Sundays. Man, come on, right? Show me in the Bible, God is happy with you when you show up on a Sunday, and that's all you do. Just, I challenge you. I would love to see that, right? Wouldn't we all? There's this self-centeredness in our heart. God, what's the least you called me to do? And Jesus says, be perfect. Obey all my commands. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Well, I really need to focus on my career right now. I'm just in this busy season of life. Then, you know, when, when things settle down, I'll start to get around to mission, Well, when I'm retired, then I'll have a lot more time. I mean, I'm not working anymore. If you have this mentality of this is a busy season of life, I think you're going to continually move on in this season, and you'll say, well, just when I get to that next one, and that'll never happen. It seems like, and I'm young, you guys know that, two young kids, that the older I get, actually... The busier I get. Like life doesn't slow down. In fact, it speeds up. Like just the year just flew by. I'm only 26. I can't imagine what life is going to be like when I'm 70. Like, what you just blink and there goes a year, you know? Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> How are we planning to be, to set aside this time? It has to be a change of lifestyle. Not just a little thing that we throw in. Well, Daniel talks a lot about mission, we're a church plant, we want to reach our city, we want to make disciples, we want to plant more churches, so what's the least amount I can do to keep Daniel, the other leaders, happy with my involvement? It's not going to happen. You might do it for a season, you're going to get burned out. We have to fundamentally change the way that we live so that all of life is mission. We are raising our young kids in a way that we are being on mission, Guys with me? Never seen in the scriptures a footnote of a command that says, unless this is a bad time for you. (laughs) These are to be followed only when you have time for them. We will either intentionally or unintentionally ignore the word of God so that it doesn't convict us and we don't have to change. Or we will change who we are to match up with God's word, what God's Word says. Those like that's what we do. It's not a middle ground. We seek to change God's word, or God's word seeks to change us. Are we willing to lay down our schedules, our calendars, our plans, our desires to be changed by what God says? Do we have that longing, that desire? We have a desire to see God's heart, God's desire, God's design for us to live in a way that we are God's witnesses in a watching world, that others would see Jesus in us through our words and deeds. We are like Jonah when we know the right answer is what we fail to obey. I was listening to an interview by a guy who was a, uh, a missionary, a church planter in Germany. He was working with Muslim refugees in Berlin. And he said something that was fascinating to me. I was watching this interview and he described that he, he was in church for a while and he had this uh, unquenchable hunger to know Jesus more and more. Like he wanted to know God. And he went through a period of about seven years where he read like 10 chapters a day of the Bible. He was reading as many books as he could. He was listening to as many podcasts as he could and nothing was good enough. Like he was always hungry. He said, he said in the interview that he was almost starving himself to death. And he was taught in church that uh, the only way to know God more and grow in intimacy with him is just to read your Bible more. That's what he was taught. But he came across this verse in John four thirty four, where Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And he said this was really interesting. He said, I always thought that having my quiet time was my feeding and doing was my exercising but it seems like doing is about me feasting on the Lord and all that I was studying began to make sense in what I was engaging. And then my quiet time was my exercising. So that was interesting, profound. That if you're here this morning and you're longing for this intimacy with God, you read your Bible and you still have this hunger, I want to know you more. Could one of the reasons that this is not happening is because you have neglected mission? You have failed to love those around you. You have failed to proclaim the gospel to those around you, to be his witness. You guys know that I love the Bible and I love studying the Bible, but we cannot just study. The Bible should motivate us, fuel us to go, to do, to act, to obey. It's not enough if we just want to attain more information and knowledge and not do anything with it. If learning the right things is ultimate, attaining knowledge is ultimate, then we become just like the Pharisees. We're going to become dry, cold, legalistic, moralistic. Obedience. We must be seeking obedience to God's word. Studying God's word and obeying it. Number four, like Jonah, we can run. We can be like Jonah when we run from the call of God and we become calloused. Like Jonah, we're sleeping in the ship. We're resting in our sin. Even now, we're hearing a, an invitation, a call, a plea for mission, and it's just bouncing off of us. We're not even moved by that. Sleeping in the story, I think, shows Jonah's complacency with his sin. When I were talking about this week, why else would he be sleeping? He didn't really care if people perished on account of his disobedience. And sometimes I think when we look inside of our heart, we get real with ourselves. We see the same reality. We might not verbalize it or vocalize it, but we have this mentality, I don't really care if those around me are perishing. I'm just going to sleep in my sin, sleep in my comfort. I don't want to deal with what's out there. I'm going to sleep. So God calls his people, principle number one, God calls his people to arise, go and proclaim his message of repentance. God's people are commanded to go and proclaim his message. Second principle, the Lord disciplines those who disobey him. God's people are disciplined when they disobey him. Now, I know that the Bible is clear, too, from the, the Psalms, that you can be doing all the right things. We can be engaging God in mission. We can be reading our Bibles. We can be people of prayer, and you can still feel distant. Those, those periods of, of dryness, of darkness, are very real. It's, it's like I, it seems like those happen in my life when God is trying to test me of what my faith really is. Trying to purify me. but the scriptures are also clear that God disciplines those whom he loves. See this in Hebrews 12, six. I think God will send storms our way to wake us up when we are disobedient. Sometimes even when God sends these storms to us, we miss what God is trying to tell us, right? We say things like, God, I thought you loved me. Why is this happening to me? I thought you were good. How, how are you allowing this evil, this sickness, this suffering in my life? And God's trying to wake us up. For, men, for much of my Christian life, I have been disobedient to this call. I've punted my responsibility to be his witness. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling sluggish, you're feeling tired. You're fighting a lot with your spouse. There's no joy at work. There's no joy in your life. Let me just lay before you that we cannot, we were created in Christ to be bold witnesses for Him, and we cannot run from our calling and wonder why our joy is gone, our appetite for God is absent, our union with Christ feels so distant. We cannot live in disobedience to the call of God and wonder why we're not flourishing. We see the same God, I think, the same God who caused this to happen in Jonah will cause storms to come your way to wake you up. He will try to wake you up out of your complacency, your callousness, to show you your disobedience. When we stop to think about that God has created all things and designed all things in his perfect and good goodwill, he's designed them to flourish. He's given us his word to show us how we're to live according to his design if we're not living according to the design, we won't flourish. I mean, we're like, out, like the fish in a fishbowl who decides, oh, this glass in this water is constraining me. I want, I want to do what I want. I'm going to jump out of this fishbowl and live how I want to live. The fish is going to flounder. It wasn't designed to live outside of the water. Humanity was designed, created to live in accord to his will, his word. We disobey God's word and we like... I don't know why I don't have happiness and joy. I don't know why my intimacy with God is so, seeming so distant. We have this callousness, this blind spot in our hearts. God cannot provide happiness, comfort, joy, and peace outside of himself because such things don't exist. God disciplines those who disobey him doesn't seem very popular either, but it's in the Bible. So when we read the passage, we see these principles, we see ourselves in Jonah. I don't think we can stop there. I don't think that's the emphasis of the passage, the ending point. I think this passage should lead us to repentance. It should cause us to look inside and see the Jonah in ourselves. Should look to see how we are fleeing from the presence of God, how we are asleep in the bottom of the ship. Well, we can't end there. Otherwise, it seems like we'd be kind of disheartened and discouraged. How do we grow out of this? I don't think it would be beneficial for me to to just put this before you and say, all right, guys, have a great week. You're like Jonah, you're disobeying God, you're fleeing from his presence, and you're asleep in the ship. Repent. How do we change out of this? How do we become more as if, more as in line with what God has called us? How do we seek to be on mission and obey his word with more fervor and passion? It happens in repentance and when we look to Jesus Christ. I think Jonah 1, 1 through 6 is not only a call for us to repent, but for us, for, to call us to see how Jesus is the better Jonah. Show us how Jesus is the hero. It's helpful, I think, to see how Jonah and Je- the contrast between the two, see how they are different. We look to Jesus. Jonah was in his home, he was comfortable. God called him to go to wicked people to proclaim repentance, and Jonah said no. Jesus was with the Father. He was worshiped by angels. He was in his home in heaven. God called him, go to earth, proclaim repentance, die for these wicked people. Endure a life of suffering, endure a life of persecution. You're going to get flogged and mocked. People are going to spit on you, and you are the Son of God. I mean, he's calling Jesus to a life that he didn't deserve. Jesus obeyed. Jesus suffered; he was beaten, he was tortured, he was ridiculed, he was humiliated, he was crucified, and he did so in obedience to God's word. He did so because he was—he saw God had compassion upon His people. He was an an agent of mercy. See, Jonah is fleeing from the call of repentance, and Jesus went from town to town proclaiming repentance. We see Jonah was resting in his sin, sleeping in the boat. It's hard not to think about how readers would think about when Jesus was sleeping during the storm in the boat. But Jesus wasn't sleeping and resting in his sin. He was resting in the sovereignty of God, in doing the will of the Father. Jonah caused harm and worry and trouble to his sailors, to those around him. Jesus came to bring peace to those around him. And when we see that Jesus did all of this on our behalf, on our wickedness, he came to die for us when we were rebelling against him, when we had no right to draw near to him. This causes us, I think, to become more like him, to love those whom he loves, to love what he loves, to do what he loved to do. Bible is clear in 2 Corinthians 3:18 that we become what we behold. We will not become less sinners by staring just at our sin. We must come to Jesus and gaze upon him. We must come to the cross and look upon what he did for us. We must see Jesus crucified and rejoice that he came while we were yet sinners. Amen. The same God who sent a storm to bring about repentance in Jonah is the same God who can shatter our hearts of stone that are calloused. The same God who hurled a great wind upon Jonah is the same God who can hurl our stone hardened hearts against the rock of ages and break them to mold them to what he wants us to do. You're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm just like Jonah. I live for myself. I neglect to proclaim his message. Daniel talks about being on mission. I don't, I don't even know if I've ever done that. What does that even mean? I can't do that. And there is, there is right now, I think, a voice that will come into you and say, you can't do this. Stay complacent. It's really hard. It's scary. Stay where you are. Stay in your fear, stay in what you think is comfortable, and don't obey God. And what I'm calling us this morning is to repent and look upon Jesus. Know that you cannot have a heart that longs for God without God. If you're sitting here thinking, this this sounds impossible, it is. We need help. We need to repent of our callousness, of our sin, and turn to Jesus. Ask for him to cleanse us, renew us, change us, shape us, mold us. Is this what we want as a church? I'm looking into your eyes right now. Is this where we want to go? I don't want to pastor a church. I don't want to lead a people in which a couple people are in on this. I'm just going to be honest with you. That was not my design to come here. That was not what I wanted to do. I don't think that's what God wants to do. We all have a part to play in this. I think we need to get out of our laziness, get out of our complacency, get out of our fear, and just start walking forward in repentance. Leaning in on each other. Trusting in the Spirit. Start doing it. You guys with me? If I can help in any way, what does that mean? What are some practical ways that I can start doing? I would love to talk with you. If you have any, like, if you want a book to read, I would love to, to point you to some resources. Sometimes, though, when, when we read books about being on mission, making disciples in all of life, it can kind of create this rosy, everything is great picture. But this is difficult, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, uh, it's a huge sacrifice. When you're, when you, I mean, when you think about food budget, budgeting people into your house, serving meals. Talk about budgeting, going to restaurants, becoming regulars, meeting servers, being in your city. That takes money, right? It's expensive. Are we willing to do this to take this sacrifice? Let me invite you that if you don't know Jesus this morning, and you are running from the presence of God, you are running from his call to turn and repent. Know that you, can, you will never find what you were looking for with happiness and joy and peace apart from God because it doesn't exist. You will always be longing for more. But if you're here this morning and you are a Christian and your heart is calloused, you're not longing to be in God's word, you're not longing to be with God's people, you're not longing to share about his goodness and his grace in your life, we invite you to repent let's just take time now as we before we start communion before we sing to reflect upon this we need supernatural help we need to ask God to continue to cleanse us and renew us we need to God to give us help to surrender to his will and to his way let's pray God I thank you for your word that is living and active that speaks to us that every story every sentence every word that is included in this book of the Holy Scriptures is there for a reason it is designed to train us to equip us to correct us in righteousness that we may be equipped to do good works Father I pray that by your spirit you would renew our hearts this morning I thank you that You have called us, that you have risen us up from the dead, that by your word you spoke and you rose us up, you called us out. We have been risen from our sins, from our graves to walk in newness of life to follow you. We have been given new life in Christ. Father, I thank you that you give us these commands and you don't leave us and send us alone. You send us with your spirit, your, your word, your promise says that you are with us always, that by your spirit we will be your witnesses. Father, you send us also, not alone, uh, you send us with your spirit, but you also send us with your church. You send us with those who are to encourage and spur us on and to show us and to shape us and to speak truth to us, to love us, to serve us, to point us outward continually upon this world that you have called us to be a, a witness to the nations. Father, I pray that by your grace and by your power, by your spirit, that the mountain church would be a people of bold witness in Des Moines to the nations and through Des Moines to the ends of the earth. Father, that is our cry. Would you, would you help us? Would you bring laborers to us? That we know the fields are white unto the harvest. Send laborers into your harvest, Father. Would you raise us up and send us out? Would you bring like-minded individuals next to us, alongside of us, who will help us accomplish this mission, this vision that you have given us, based on your word? Father, now would you renew our hearts as we confess our sins to you, We, we turn to you, we ask for cleansing, we ask for renewal. In your son's name I pray. Amen.